What qualifies as language? Where do you mask and where do you reveal your true self? And who's more inspiring than a dad? Hello, friends. Welcome to Characters Without Stories, a TTRPG podcast about the roads not yet traveled. I'm Star. This episode, I'm joined by Sophie Katz. Sophie is a Jewish, aromantic, asexual writer, storyteller, and all-around nerd. She is the host of the podcast, I Love This Thing So Freaking Much, currently on hiatus while she finishes up her master's degree. Sophie, I'll give you a chance to plug your projects at the end, but right now, do you want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself? I mean, those are the uh, big important things for us to talk about today. Uh, I am a writer. I'm a storyteller. Those are the things I love more than anything else in the world. My pronouns are she, her. I forget if that's been uh, mentioned already. And I'm really excited to be here today. Thanks for having me on the show, Star. Of course. I'm really excited for this conversation. So to get into it then, Sophie, who are you bringing to the table today? I am bringing Ekra. Ekra, the Kenku Bard, to the table today. This is a character built for D&D 5e, correct? That is correct. That is correct. But it's sort of written uh, in resistance to a D&D 5e, if I'm being honest. Ooh, tell me more. So if you've played D&D 5e or watched various, uh, various live play shows that use this system, and if Kenku have ever shown up, the way that Kenku are presented in D&D lore is very interesting to me in that when I was reading the lore, I had a very specific reaction that was a, no, that's not true reaction, <laughs> which is interesting given this is not my story, not my thing I'm writing. But I'm like, no, this, this doesn't sound right. I'm going to do something different. So Kenku are bird people. Uh, and they're not like the Aarakocra. They cannot fly. They're just these little five foot tall, pretty much at the most, bird people with these feathery hands and no wings. And they also don't have a voice of their own. Uh, the legends say that Kenku were cursed or that they uh, betrayed their god. There's different versions of the story depending on where you look. And as a result, the Kenku were punished, their wings were taken away, and also their ability to speak on their own was taken away. And so all the Kenku can do, if you meet a Kenku, it's not going to talk like we're talking right now. The Kenku will mimic sounds that it's heard before, which could be words, could be natural noises, could be unnatural noises, just depending on what this Kenku happens to have heard. So I'm reading about, you know, Kenku, because just I'm looking through the uh, Volo's uh, Guide to Monsters, trying to find interesting things that I want to play as maybe someday. And it says that it's not just that Kenku can't talk. They can't come up with their own ideas. They have hmm. to copy from the world around them. And I'm reading this and my brain just went, no, just because someone can't speak in the way that you expect them to doesn't mean that they're not thinking. The, the, the idea is that a Kenku would not be able to come up with their own plan or, or, or make up their own speech, their own song, because they lack the ability to speak in a language that makes sense to you. That just struck me as a problem. 
Yeah. And so I was like, well, maybe this is just a stereotype. Let's work with that. Because the first time I thought, oh, Kenku, Kenku Bard could be fun because like a Kenku Bard could make found poetry with the sounds they make around. And I mentioned this to someone a very long time ago, and they pointed out that this would not work, that Kenku can't come up with their own poems. And I said, well, that's no fun. (laughs) No. Why would you want to play a character who can't come up with their own ideas? It does not make sense to want to inhabit that. Maybe it makes sense if it's just supposed to be some monster that you can kill without feeling sad about killing it because, oh, it's not really a person. It doesn't really have its own ideas. But role-playing games give you the opportunity to imagine beyond limitations like that. We are able to imagine ourselves as a bird person, as a cat person, as someone who lives a thousand years, someone who only lives 20 years, and inhabit that world where all this magic happens. And it just really frustrated me to read about Kenku as such a limited thing. And so my thought was, no, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to play a Kenku bard. (laughs) Yeah, I love that point that you just made about how playing a character in a role-playing game gives you an opportunity to inhabit something you are not and to to learn from that. I think that's beautifully put. Thank you. I think it's also kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of the way that we learn language. Because mm. when we're babies, we start off, we're just mimicking sounds that we hear. We're not necessarily understanding it. And then as we learn language, we learn it by repeating things that people say. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like, you know, those, um, those videos, there, there's so many of them these days. It really started with like the hunger for words Instagram account, I think it originally was, where it's a dog that has been given buttons, and it pushes the button and the button says mom or it says food or it says outside. And that's how the dog tells the owner uh, what what they want. Humans can be really like we really want there to be something that that separates us from the natural world, and so it's like oh you know only humans have the ability to communicate like this. It's like all that language is is we agree that this sound means this thing. Anything that can make sound and has any kind of cause and effect idea, which is pretty much all living things like even plants you know react to things in a cause and effect sort of way that's language this noise equals this thing is language and so it does not make sense to me that you could have communities of kenku who just never communicate with each other that they wouldn't figure out you know for this maybe small pocket of kenku making this bird noise or it plus this dog noise plus this sound of a tree falling down means I love you, you know, that would happen. That's just how it works. That's what language is. That's a really interesting mental image. This really reminds me of there's that Star Trek, the next generation episode, which is called Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, where they speak entirely in metaphors. And that kind of reminds me of what you just said, which is like, well, maybe tree dog bark means I love you. And why not? Yeah, why not? Language doesn't have to work the way that we think it works. There are lots of different approaches to language. Yeah, all language needs to be is what works for us. And honestly, it's in a way ableist and also in a way racist. If your assumption on hearing someone speak in a way that doesn't make sense to you is to assume there's no thoughts going on inside that brain. Yeah, yeah, good point. 
I don't know, Kenku writes. <laughs> yeah, it definitely made me think of things like sign language or hieroglyphics. They're completely different ways of understanding. Who's to say Kenku don't speak in sign language? They have hands. Yeah. <laughs> if they can't talk, they will find a, like they have families. You know, they, they're people. You can play as them. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely that very brief snippet in a piece of racial lore means so much when you actually think about the implications. Mm-hmm. And I am the kind of person to think and think and think about the implications. <laughs> <laughs> Was the spark that led you to creating this character this anger or I don't know if it was anger for you but but the way that you felt about this racial description in the lore yeah I was mostly thinking about how a Kenku bard would interact with the world around him and with the expectations of the world around him because unfortunately it's it's not a big stretch of the imagination to think that in universe this would be an unfair stereotype placed upon the Kenku that because they're different they must be just animals. I was also thinking about mechanically, like if I wanted to convince a DM to let me use this character someday, I would at least need to be able to like make sure that he could communicate on an okay level with the other players. Because also I like role-playing. I wouldn't want to just like sit there and say nothing. And also I, I am not much of a voice actor. I am no uh, Matthew Mercer. I really won't be able to do really cool animal noises and trees falling down noises as a Kenku and have anyone be having fun with that. I decided that what happened to Ekra when he was a hatchling was that he was snatched up. He was basically kidnapped from home by some, you know, marauding, uh, maybe it was an adventuring party. Maybe it was just some merchants. I don't know. But someone was like, oh, cute little bird thing. I'm going to sell it as an exotic pet. And so he was bought by this uh, eccentric uh, rich woman who just carried him around with her all the time. You know, like, like, you know, rich people will have like their little dogs in their bags or something and just talked to him nonstop, just treating him like her baby slash pet, definitely a thing that she owns, not really treating him like a person. And so he listened and he learned and grew to the point he had enough of a vocabulary that it's like he's playing Mad Libs constantly. <laughs> so his tone of voice makes no sense. It's all disjointed. But mostly he's using her voice. And he figured out pretty quickly, oh, if I entertain this woman, then I make sure I get fed. And I make sure she doesn't get mad at me because I am this thing that she owns. And that was the first uh, 12 years or so of his life. Uh, Kenku come to uh, maturity at 12. And at that point, he eventually got fed up with his circumstances. Like he was living in, quote unquote, living in luxury, but it was very much a gilded cage that he did not have any ability to live his life any way he would want to with this woman. And so finally he... Uh, took up his loot and uh, ran away and made his way out of out of civilization and out to the wilderness where Kenku lived and went through the slow process of reintegrating himself into a society that he did not understand at all. And that was definitely not easy because, you know, he was raised by a different species. But I'm, an, you know, I'm an optimist. I'm an idealist. So he did he did make it. I think Kenku are very patient with each other. 
Like you have to be, you can't expect anyone to immediately be on the same page as you like words wise. And most Kenku don't even use words at all because if they're far away from people, they're never going to learn a common word. So I think that they were patient with each other and they saw this uh, lost young man and were like, hey, okay, we'll, we'll figure this out. And he eventually uh, got married, got a husband, and they raised two kids together. And then one day, his youngest daughter was kidnapped in the same way that he was. And that is his call to adventure. That's why he returns to civilization as the D&D world knows it and starts getting involved with not Kenku people again because uh, he wants to figure out where his daughter is and get her and bring her home. Would you say that the setting that you're thinking of for this character is a setting in which Kenku aren't really seen as human or as uh, humanoid, I guess is, you know, the D&D term for it? That's where his uh, origin would come from, that his experience with the world is basically what the Kenku uh, lore in the player's handbook sets up that they're not really people they don't really think and it would certainly depend on the other players and looking forward to seeing how other players react to him and what questions they might ask because there's lots of opportunities for him to react to them in turn that if they say to him oh well kenku don't have language he would probably get kind of mad about that it's an interesting thing being someone who is different and in a way that other people refuse to ignore. Is this something that you do often when building characters? I, I know that some people would prefer not to encounter discrimination based on their their race in D&D. This is different from race in the real world, just to reiterate. But is it something that you enjoy playing out or is this something that you're doing or thinking of specifically for this character? It's a story that matters to me. This is definitely the most blatant I've been about it and like having it all wrapped up. But I'm also the other character I've played the most of so far is a explicitly pacifist character in the D&D world, which is another kind of how the heck do you do that? How, how does this work within the rules within, quote unquote, the way the game's supposed to go? You know, you're supposed to go around killing people. So what happens when you have a character who fundamentally doesn't want to do that? I'm fortunate enough to have a wonderful dungeon master and a wonderful uh, group of players who they, they don't always, you know, agree with my character, but they are, as players are willing to play with this and the dungeon master is always throwing challenges my way to like test my character and see how far her philosophy can go. And that makes a cool and interesting story. So I guess the trend for me is making characters that push back against the assumptions of the game in a way. And when you have a game that has everyone is very, I'm very glad everyone's, you know, being so noisy about it right now, because being noisy about things is how you make it better. But there are a lot of problems in Dungeons and Dragons as it exists and how it's yep. written and the assumptions that are made. The whole concept of this race is this way is fundamentally problematic. And so, yeah, by all means, I'm going to have fun making characters who look back at that in a, you know, leaning on the fourth wall kind of way almost and say, but we're not like that. Or maybe we are like that, but is it really a bad thing? Dear listeners, you cannot see, but I was I was nodding <laughs> vigorously through that whole <laughs> statement because 
to say the least, D&D has some problems with race. The Kenku also being the, the idea of a cursed race also comes up a lot. And ooh, that's that's not no. that's not fun. I don't like that either. And that, that's something that I would hope would come up eventually, because I, I think practically speaking, it would be complicated for Ekra specifically, because I think generally speaking, Kenku don't see themselves as broken. I think that it's all that they know and it works for them. And when you are surrounded by other people who do talk like you and act like you and have the same cultural values as you, you don't have any reason to think there's something wrong with you. But Ekra was raised by someone who treated him as fundamentally inhuman. And, and she introduced him to language and music and art in a way that is not what Kenku would create on their own. And that's what he's been immersed in. That's what music is to him. That's what song is to him. And I think he would at times find it frustrating that he can't participate in the same way that a human would like. Like Ekra is a bard who can't sing. He could copy someone else singing, but he can't sing himself. That's not how his voice works. And I think that if he had grown up without knowing that that was something he quote unquote should want, it would be very different, but that's not how it is now. Akra is a bard. Did you have an idea for a subclass there? It's funny because I've, I've built him twice now because uh, there I made him a very long time ago for her game that then took a like a full like year after I made the character to even have a session one and then has not had another session in the month since. So that was just a level one version of him. So I wasn't even near thinking about that kind of thing. But I've just now rebuilt him is sort of like an alternate universe version of him. Uh, where I've also like, I've, I've tweaked uh, my thoughts on his personality a bit for this version. So like there's there's one version of Ekra and the other version of him. But this one I've been thinking, because just in case we get to uh, move up from level two to level three, I'm thinking I'll go with a uh, College of Valor for him. Part of that was talking with the other players for this new game and trying to balance out mechanics a bit. Part of it was also wanting, you know, after playing a pacifist character, I want to try out playing someone who's a little more fighty. He's a dad on a mission. He's going to find his girl and he's going to kick the butt of whoever gets in his way of finding his girl. So yeah, he's going to be a little more stabby than the person I played last. <laughs> <laughs> but and I also didn't want to do like, you know, College of Swords because that didn't line up with his backstory. Like he didn't learn cool flourishy sword tricks, but an interest in adventure stories that lines up well with what he might have heard as this rich woman was reading him stories as a kid. So just in case anybody listening is not familiar, can you tell us a little bit about what that subclass is? So the bard subclasses, they call them colleges, which I kind of laugh about, like bards go to college and what it might be like at bard college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Their arts programs get lots of funding. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Ekra did not go to college. Well, most of the bard classes are a lot more focused on the way the bard interacts with people. They're more charisma, persuading, deceiving, performing focused. But in the interest of making someone a little more, a little more angry, a little more stabby, <laughs> that's why I was looking at swords or valor, which swords is sword swallowers and people who throw the swords in the air and do cool tricks and sword dances. That would be College of Swords. But I didn't think that that really worked with Ekra. So College of Valor is a bard who is really interested in 
adventures and adventure stories and not only the stories of the past, but the stories that are being made that he is there in the moment and he's going to, you know, write a, a song about the adventures of this party someday. And because this bard knows that they are uh, going to be in adventuring scenarios, they've learned how to use a sword and a shield. A lot of bards will be just focused on their magic, just focused on their powers of persuasion, both natural and enhanced by whatever magical instruments they may have picked up along the way as their uh, focus for their powers. Ekra is going to, he doesn't, not an exact fit because he didn't really want to be an adventurer. He's just doing it because he's a good dad and good dad will chase his daughter to the ends of the earth if he has to. But it was the the closest thing I could find, which limitations breed innovation and all, ja- all that jazz. I, I like to, you know, take things and make them my own when I can. Yeah, I think our traditional idea of what a bard is, is very tied to music. And I like a more expansive definition of what a bard is and what a bard can be. Personally, I've played a cheerleader bard. So her magic Mm. came from her ability to to shout really loud and do some acrobatics. Yeah, because bards inspire, bards support. Bards have turned into at least... You know, people mythologizing about D&D games, as it were, into the, the the really flirty, flirty, sexy, you know, doesn't care about anything, but will get, get what you want because he's super hot sort of sort of thing. Maybe this is the, uh, the arrow ace of me speaking, but that's not the only way to inspire people. Like flirting is not the, the biggest motivator in the world. You know what's inspiring? A dad. Yep. Like a parent saying, you got this kid. I am here for you. Like, Ekra, he's like 25, you know, like Kenku, that's middle age just for a Kenku. They, they don't live as long as a lot of the other species uh, in uh, D&D. But I can definitely imagine that if he gets any inkling that any member of his party is like mentally younger than him, he's going to adopt them. He's too much of a dad to not be like, oh, you, you are a poor teenager. You are a poor child. Let me help you. <laughs> I love what you just said about dads and parents in general being kind of an inspiring coach for their child and being that support and inspiring their children to do what they want to do with their lives. That's so sweet. I love it. He's going to be a dad bard, bird dad, bird bard. I haven't figured out the best way to combine those three words. (laughs) (laughs) And and if he has a dad bod, he's a dad bard with a dad bod. (laughs) (laughs) With a bird. He's got a bird bod, (laughs) at least. Does uh, Ekra tell a lot of dad jokes? Ooh. And how would jokes work with Kenku? I bet Kenku's sense of humor is probably different than other people's sense of humor. He's got, I mean, he's got enough of a grasp of common that he could probably tell a joke, but his delivery would probably leave a lot to be desired. (laughs) Unless he put like a ton of thoughts into which example of which word he's going to use. Like that would take a lot more thought. He probably has a really dry sense of humor just because his, his, his tone of voice, like I mentioned before, speed round Mad Libs. <laughs> he, he'll pick whatever word is most available in his head at the moment for what he does. I think there might be quite a bit of accidental humor from him because he'll, he'll come across uh, gaps in his vocabulary from time to time. If he's never heard anyone talk about something before, then he'll just not be able to say it. So I'll have to talk around it. So that could get funny. I don't know if he personally would find it funny, but from an outsider's perspective. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So you talked about his motivation for journeying. What is his daughter's name, by the way? His daughters were Akura and Haya. 
and his husband is a walk. Um, when I was thinking about names, I did a lot of listening to uh, like videos of ravens because mm. ravens make a lot of weird noises and they're really cool. <laughs> so the woman who kidnapped him, Lady Fiona, well, she didn't kidnap him. She bought him. But anyway, she called him Birdie. <laughs> and once he escaped into the world, he didn't want to have anything to do with her, you know, anymore. Like he want, you know, to be a Kenku. And so he chose a name that was of sounds that he could actually make. So that's a bird sound. And so I, I was looking, you know, watching videos and I saw a video of a raven just going, a walk, a walk, a walk, a walk, a walk. And I'm like, a walk, that's his, <laughs> that's his husband's name. Yeah. So Kura and Haya are the daughters. I can't remember right now which one I said was the missing one. Oh man, being a bird race and being called birdie is like the highest insult. I can't imagine, like, if you named your child humany, <laughs> it's, it's very yeah. insulting. <laughs> yeah, and like, of course, it'll be, you know, up to the DM if and when we ever run into Lady Fiona, what exactly she's like. But I can imagine that one way for it to go is that she probably doesn't even realize that she mistreated him. She probably thinks she was uplifting this uh, poor little creature and they think she was doing him a favor and does, just genuinely does not get it. And that could be a uh, storytelling wise, a fun argument to have. Do you think that he has a lot of animosity towards her or is it more just kind of a wanting to divorce himself from her company and, and from that association? I think it's complicated. I think that he definitely realized he was unhappy enough to decide to leave. So there's that. And then I think he f had the opportunity to go out and spend just as many years. Certainly childhood years are formative in a lot of ways, but it was like 12 years with her and 12 years without her. And the next 12 years being with people who were demonstrating before him every day that it's possible to be all the things that the humans told him he couldn't be and that it's possible to be happy and have love and have art and have a sense of purpose in your life living in a very different way and communicating in a very different way and so i think he reached the point where he didn't speak with her voice anymore and now he's back interacting with people that he knows he needs to talk to them or they won't take him seriously and he won't be able to find his girl and so he's back using Lady Fiona's voice again, just because that's the majority of his vocab. That's the easiest thing available to him. And he cannot, there's nothing in the D&D &D lore that limits how much a Kenku can remember and mimic. It's just a part of them forever. He would never be able to completely divorce himself from the influence she's had on his life whether he wants to or not. And that complicates the issue. And it's something you can't really get rid of. How can you feel about that? It can't be entirely positive. It has to be complicated. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tool that he uses. And it's something that in some ways holds him back from being fully Kenku in the way he would have been if none of this had ever happened. And at the same time, it's all he knows. It's all he is. It is a part of him. And he does like music. He does like poetry. He does like using the sounds of the world around him. And the sounds of the world around him for his life includes human sounds, includes Lady Fiona's voice. And so it is what it is. And what it is is complicated. Yeah, definitely. 
The sound of her voice is probably linked to some very traumatic feelings from him. And every time he speaks, he has to recall something that's traumatic to him. I can imagine that'd be very difficult. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's the only option. So he has to deal with it and he has to be okay with it. And that is, like speaking from personal experience in some ways, the things that you have to be okay with, that's a very insidious thing. And you can go a very long time being convinced that you're okay with the things you have to be okay with. Definitely. How do you think that your personal experience has influenced building this character? Speaking as a writer and storyteller, it is nigh on impossible to avoid having the characters that you create have a part of you in some way, for better or worse. I'll say that Ekra is very close to my heart. Thematically speaking, at least, certainly nowhere near literal. A lot of the ways that Ekra has struggled with interacting with a world that expects something of you that you're not, and the decisions you have to make of where do you comply and where do you not? Where, where do you mimic? Where do you use scripts? Where do you rely on observing the world around you? And where do you try to be yourself at the risk of alienating the world around you? And also, where do you find the people who are like you and do think like you and do laugh at the same jokes you laugh at and do take comfort in the same traditions you do? And I think this is this is one of those stories that I can imagine people of dozens of different identities relating to this feeling. I think this is one of those universal stories. It is a story I do find myself coming back to in one way or another a lot. Yeah, I talked to Stevie a ways back. And that was one of the things we talked about is that part of what makes D&D attractive, I think, especially to people who are kind of experiencing this disconnect with who they are and how the world sees them, is that it gives them an opportunity in world to find that kind of found family that you need to navigate that kind of disconnect and those kind of feelings and traumas. Definitely. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what Ekra looks like? Ekra is, like all Kenku, a, a little bird person. He's about four foot nine or so. Like He's not quite five foot. He's a still counts as a medium size as D&D sizing goes, but he's not very strong. He's just a, a little bird man. He has very dark brown feathers, like not quite black, but like if you've just glanced at him in the right lighting, you might assume they were black. And he's got very dark black eyes. And so I've decided that... Uh, Part of Kenku art is bleaching and dyeing their feathers. Oh, interesting. And so the feathers on the back of his head are purple. And he keeps with him a green feather. And that's uh, one of Awak's feathers, his husband's feathers. Oh, nice. And he wears just a very simple sort of uh, traveling cloak. Like he wasn't really planning on dressing super fancy or buying a lot of clothes. And he was going out. It was just, nope, I got to go find my girl. So it's got a hood that he can pull up uh, if he wants to, but usually he doesn't because he's hoping that someone will notice him and the way that they react to, oh, there's another one of these bird people, that that'll be the clue he needs to finding finding his daughter. I love the idea of the dyeing of feathers and, and having feathers instead of a lock of hair. I think that's a really interesting 
flavoring to add to the race. I love it when people do that kind of thing. <laughs> Thank you. I was just thinking about like, left to their own devices, what would they do if they weren't being held to other cultures' standards? Well, what do they have? They have their feathers. They do something with the feathers. They've got natural plants and stuff around them. They could make dyes. How much experience do they have with sword fighting? You mentioned that they use a rapier. When they start out at level one, are they just completely green or do they do a little training first? I don't think he had any uh, official training. The thing he had like official training in was his music that like, like Lady Fiona paid for him to learn how to play the lute and a couple other instruments so he could uh, entertain her. And he takes a lot of joy in that. The sword fighting is something he's just picked up out of necessity. Like I can imagine that when he was going out into the world for the first time, he just found a dagger somewhere and that's how he defended himself as he was making his way through the wilderness for the first time. And so that's where he started to learn things. I need to figure out where he got his rapier. Maybe he stole it. I don't know. <laughs> he at some point ended up with a sword and is, I mean, he's, he's very low level, so it makes sense for him to not know a whole lot about it yet, but he will definitely learn through experience. But he has a decently high uh, dexterity, so he'll be at least able to hit things, if not cause a lot of damage. He's not a very strong person. It's always good to have room for growth, especially in a level one character. Yeah, no, he's not, he's not a seasoned adventurer. <laughs> he is a dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what flaws do they have? Besides just being a not very strong little bird man, definitely his temper. It's not something that he'll like this is getting into how I've had different thoughts on his personality from one version, the one game that hasn't had a second session yet, and the other game that's about to start. I think I initially had him very quiet and in the background, just sort of going with the flow and not really pushing the narrative at all, which I sort of fell into mainly because that group had a lot of first time players in it. I want to, you know, be supportive and not take over too much of the limelight. So I sort of fell into that pattern of behavior for him. So I think that would be a flaw for that version of him is that he, you know, the, a much more, you know, practical thing would be to say, nope, we are going, we're going to find my girl. I don't care about this stuff. Let's, let's go. But he's being much more passive at the time. And his inexperience with interacting with people recently would also be a flaw. But in the way I'm currently building him, he is much more inclined to snap at people, basically, if they cross him or if they say something he doesn't like, or if they imply that he's an animal or that he's stupid or that he's somehow lesser in any way. I think he's all of the complicated feelings we were talking about before with how much he wants to lean into his past or his presence or the human influences or the Kenku influences. I think he's really sensitive about that. And if anyone pokes, he will snap back. And if there's any threat to his child or his perceived children, he will be very fighty and very eager to tell you to shut up and stick a sword in your face to make you shut up. When he was leaving home, his husband and other daughter didn't want him to go. I think it's not you know, the most uncommon thing in the world for little Kenku to disappear and never come back for various reasons. You know, if you're out in the wilderness, maybe you get snatched up by a monster or maybe you get snatched up by someone who's going to sell you on the exotic pet trade. And I think that uh, Awak told him, no, just stay. I don't want to lose you too. And Ekra is like, no, and stubbornly went off after his daughter, which is the, in a way, the noble thing to do, but it also is 
now they've lost two family members. Maybe they all know if he's ever coming back. Yeah, that's a hard choice to make. I think he's a, a little impulsive in that way. I don't know if he puts a ton of thoughts into issues, which would make it even more important to the times where he is really carefully uh, considering his choices and choosing his words. But it'll be interesting to see what influences in the story world develop that. So Ekra is a bard, and you said that they enjoy music. Do they compose music? Yes, yes, Ekra does. I mentioned before some frustration that not being able to sing. It's like he's also, you know, he's a lyricist in addition to a composer, but he likes to have a lot of fun with his music. This is actually one of the first things I thought of, so I can't believe I haven't said this already, when I was thinking about what a Kenku bard would be capable of, Kenku mimic. That's their whole deal. So he will play a song on his lute. And then he will sing the lute line using his mimicry ability while he is playing on the lute something that harmonizes with the melody he is repeating. So he's basically duetting with himself or it's, you know, the high fantasy version of like a loop device. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. I don't know what the actual practical terms are for such things. I just know it is looping. Yeah, I have no idea. (laughs) Listeners, please tell me what that is called. (laughs) It might just be looping. I don't know. But for him, it's the self duets because it's just him uh, playing with himself and he could layer different sounds on top of each other and use the music he finds in the world around him in addition to the music that he makes. But Ekra definitely takes a lot of pride in the songs that he is able to create and the sounds that he's able to create without the influence of the rest of the world because it's kind of proof against the way people see him. There is a mind in here. There is a heart. This song didn't exist before and now it does. And that was me. Yeah, very cool. Ekra, do you give people second chances? Second chances? Second chances. Depends. Some people help you. Some people hurt you. Some people take a long time to learn. I think if someone came to me and said, I'm sorry, I know what I did wrong, I would consider it. Uh, Thank you so much. I think that voice is really interesting. I definitely would enjoy playing with that character. That makes me happy to hear. Um, I definitely plan to, uh, if my you know co-players say anything like particularly you know interesting or fun or sp- fun specific phrase, I will jot it down as something that Ekra would use. It definitely puts a different spin on character catchphrases because Ekras might be other characters' catchphrases. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sophie, thank you so much for sharing Ekra on the podcast. How can people find you? Oh, you can find me a couple different places. You can find me on the platform where I found you, which is TikTok. I am at Sophie A. Katz on uh, TikTok. I am also at Sophie A. Katz on Instagram. It's not Sophie Katz. It's also not Sophia Katz. It is Sophie A. Katz. Because if you Google just Sophie Katz, you get the Sophie Katz mystery series, which has nothing to do with me. But I feel like I need to read someday because like, it must be about me, you know? <laughs> I'll put the links in the description, so feel free to check those out and find Sophie that way. 
Yes, and um, if you're interested in my work as a writer, uh, you can find me at sophie-a-cats.com, which has all my portfolio of various uh, things and stories that I've worked on. And uh, I really do plan to relaunch uh, my podcast. I love this thing so freaking much once I'm done with my master's degree in just a few more weeks, because uh, I really loved making that podcast so freaking much, pun completely intended. <laughs> But if you want to to catch up on that before I start making new episodes, because there's uh, about 100 episodes uh, on there, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and basically everywhere that uh, the Anchor app uh, distributes podcasts to. And I hope you enjoy. Please, please tell me what the podcast is about, because I'm sure everybody else listening is curious now. (laughs) So I love this thing so freaking much is a podcast about passion. Every episode, uh, I bring on a guest who gets three minutes to speak uninterrupted about a topic of their choice. The only requirement for this topic is it's something that you love wholeheartedly and want to tell us why you love it. So you get to talk about it. Then we have a little conversation and the episodes are uh, 15 minutes or less. It's very much a uh, pick the thing you could talk about for hours and hours and hours on end. We're going to give you the very short first reaction of why you love it. And it brought a lot of uh, joy in my life in a time where I really needed that joy. And I really look forward to doing it again. And I hope that it brings uh, all of you joy as well if you take a moment to listen to it. Yeah, please go check it out. You can find me on TikTok at S-T-A-R-M-A-M-A-C. That's Star Mama C. You can also listen on YouTube. Just search for Characters Without Stories. Please like, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, and share with your friends. Share with your favorite barista. Every little bit helps. I'm currently accepting submissions, particularly for non-D&D characters. So if you'd like to share a character, you can go to the submission form at characterswithoutstories.com. Thanks for listening, and may all your characters find their stories. <laughs>